Good morning. Wow, this is quite a different perspective for me. Um, a little while we're going to talk about being out of your comfort zone, and I just want you to know today I'm practicing what I preach. Uh, this is not the place that I feel the most comfortable, but it is wonderful to be with my own church today. Unfortunately, a lot of Sundays I have to be somewhere else, and I'm not here. So it is a, a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here to worship with you. Thanks, Rick, and thanks to our musicians for the wonderful music. It was much more comfortable sitting down there worshiping, but watching how God had put all the pieces together to go along with what we're doing today and what we're sharing. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we were out of town, but we watched the service online, and Dr. Edens was preaching, and he began, he paused, and he said, let's pray for our pastor search committee. And I thought that was a, a wonderful idea, uh, something I wanted to do today. I know that we're all praying for not only our pastor search committee, but for our new pastor. Uh, we do not know who he is yet, but God does. So we cannot pray for him by name, but we can pray for our pastor. He, he will be here. God has that person for us. So as we begin today, let's join as a, a family of faith and pray for the person that God is leading in our direction. Father God, we know that uh, you are truly faithful. We know that you have a person that is in your heart to come and to be our pastor, to lead our church, to be the shepherd of this flock. And Father, we do not know his name yet, but we know that you know everything and you know who he is. So Father, we pray today for that man. Father, we pray that uh, even as he may not know that he's the person to come here, that you already begin to prepare him for this place of service. Father, we pray for those on our, staff, our, our pastor search committee. We pray for them to give them wisdom, that they will listen to you, that they will find this person that you have designated, that you are preparing. We pray for our staff, and we thank you for them as they are leading us during this time. Give them great wisdom. Use them in a special way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're continuing a series today on Prosper the City. We've talked about challenges in the city, using your gifts in the city, courage in the city. I'm not sure why I got frustration in the city, but uh, that's okay. We'll go with it. Frustration in the city. Surely there's no frustration. I've lived in New Orleans my entire life. It's a perfect place. There's no problems here. I don't know what they were thinking. You know, it's easy to get frustrated when we live in an urban environment. Our city is not unique. I mean, I am afraid sometimes to watch the news at night to see what is coming next, uh, what has happened, you know, uh, what part of our city is flooded. Our sewage and water board seems to be having a few issues. Um, political uh, figures who put their own interest in front of others. Uh, just crime, the terrible stories we've heard just this weekend not only here, but in other places of uh, shootings, just evil in our world. It, it's, a, it's a horrible thing. Why this happens in these settings, I don't know. Why God is, allows this stuff to continue is, 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 is frustrating to me. It, it, it's hard. Uh, a few minutes ago, you heard I have the privilege of being the director of Global Maritime Ministries. It's a ministry uh, to the uh, Port of New Orleans, we're the chaplain for the Port of New Orleans, Port of South Louisiana, those ports along the lower Mississippi River. Uh, 
We work with international seafarers, folks that come to our port from all over the world. Pardon the shameless plug, but there it is. Uh, an opportunity to share the gospel with folks from literally 130, 140 different countries every year. Just a, just a quick aside, you may not know how important our port is, how important this is to our, our city, but did you know one in every five jobs in the state of Louisiana is related to our maritime community? Did you know that 90% of everything we use on a daily basis comes to you on a ship? Those cell phones in your pockets or in your hands, all of those things, the clothes, your shoes, they all come to us. 90% of everything you use comes to us somehow on a ship. This is all part of our city. It's an important city. It's a very, a very unique place to live. I am a native here. I've grown up here. This is the only thing I've ever known. My wife has asked me several times if I ever wanted to live somewhere else, and the answer is no. I mean, I cannot imagine living life anywhere where when you go to a restaurant, Monday is not red beans and rice. I'm sorry, any place that thinks gumbo is anything but seafood, it's, you know, it's just not right. I know that's just my personal taste. I, I can't imagine living living anywhere else. And when I get to go to other places and speak about the ministry that we do, almost every time I do, somebody comes up to me at some point and says, I can't believe you live in New Orleans. Or they make a comment about, oh, I would never go to New Orleans. As we're trying to get them here to come and to volunteer, to minister to others, to, uh, to get out of their comfort zones, to reach out to people from all over the world. They say, no, I'd never go to New Orleans. That place is too horrible. It's too dangerous. It's, they have some reason that they would never come here. And you know what? It's frustrating. It's frustrating to hear those things. I think they think that New Orleans is simply French Quarter, Bourbon Street, and that we have Mardi Gras every day. I think that's what they really think. But I know that's not what our city is. I know that our city is much more than that. It's a city full of people. It's a city full of opportunity. It's a city full of those that need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's a city full of hurting people. But it's also a city that has us. A city that is here for us to be a light in our community. For us to reach out and to make a difference. Jonah is our, our passage today. He was called to go to a city. It was a place he really did not like, and it's a place he did not want to go. Um, but God taught him something through the process, and hopefully today uh, God will teach us something as well. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Jonah, that's in the Old Testament. It's a little book there toward the end. Uh, Take your time to find it. We're going to read chapter 3 and 4, this, the, the uh, chapters that we were assigned today. I do want to tell Taylor I appreciate that very much. As I began to study, I was very excited. I started, of course, in, to get context in, in chapter 1. Uh, very exciting chapter. There's a great storm at sea. You know, God speaks to Jonah. He decides to go the other way. There's a great storm at sea. Even the sailors are afraid. I mean, this isn't just a storm. God prepared a wind. The sailors, these, these sailors were scared. These were folks used to being on the ocean, and they were scared. This was epic storm. This was the stuff movies get made about. There's a, there's a big fish, and Jonah gets eventually thrown over and swallowed by a fish. You know, I, I don't 
don't know what kind of fish. We're not going to go there today. If you want to figure that out, lots of commentaries spend lots of time talking about if that's possible. And you can go and read them. It's very interesting. But I believe God's a God that can do anything. And so he had a fish and it swallowed Jonah. So that's what we're going with today. In chapter uh, 2, he, uh, he spends quite a lot of time. He spends three days in the belly of this fish. And he has a revival moment. He has an opportunity to, for God to get his attention to spend that time with God. There's some exciting stuff in chapter 1 and 2. Then we get to our passages today, chapter 3 and 4. Chapter 3, we're sitting there ready for the fire and brimstone. He's going to destroy Nineveh, and it never happens. No fire, no brimstone, nothing exciting. Get to chapter 4. What do we get? A weed and a worm. So thank you for that. I would have loved to have the fish and the storm and the epic story, but we get a weed and a worm. But let's read chapter 3 and 4 because it really is seriously a lot here to, uh, to say to us today. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I will give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was an important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of, uh, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king in Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, this is, not, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. 
It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah has a lot to teach us. This whole book does. There's more lessons than could be fit in a series of sermons here. Let's go back for just a minute and check in chapter 1 because there's some things that we need to understand to see how Jonah got to Nineveh. But first of all, you know, this is not the first time we meet Jonah. He's actually mentioned the first time in 2 Kings 14.25. And there he's a prophet of God. He uh, proclaims to the king... The believe Jeroboam the second, it was either his time or before his time he proclaims this. And very quickly we'll go through this, that much of the land that Israel had lost would be restored. That they would take back part of the land. That when King Jeroboam the second was the king, this was kind of the revitalization of Israel. They were at the height of their, their time militarily. This, they were feeling good about themselves. And Jonah was the prophet that had predicted that this would happen. He was the one that took the message from God that this land would be restored. Jonah was a popular prophet in this time. He had brought the good news that was going to, to change it. Then he's called the Nineveh. Where's Nineveh? Nineveh's actual place. They found it. It's opposite of Mosul in North Iraq. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles to the northeast. And so like most of us faithful people, when God tells us to go 500 miles to the northeast, we choose to go 2,000 miles the other direction. And Jonah went down to Joppa. He went to get on a ship. He went headed to Tarshish, which... In my understanding, at that point in time was the end of the world. There was nothing beyond, beyond that. And so Jonah thought, and this is important, Jonah thought that if he went to the end of the world, if he went to the farthest place he could get from God, if he could get out of God's presence, then he didn't have to obey God's commands. For Jonah, God was the God of Israel. He didn't apply to anybody else. He was Israel's God. So if he could get out of Israel, if he could get out of God's presence, he didn't have to go to Nineveh. Well, that didn't work out very well for him. He ended up in Nineveh anyway. He wasn't real happy about being in, in Nineveh, we found out. There was a lot of reasons for that. The Ninevites were not very nice people. This was uh, the Assyrians, the capital of Assyria. And they were wicked. They were known for tearing off the hands and the lips of their, the people that they had conquered, to tear the skin off and leave piles of skulls as markers in the places that they had uh, taken over, that they had destroyed. These were just not nice people at all. Jonah did not want to go there. Jonah did not want to bring any kind of positive message to the Ninevites. They were the enemy of Israel. He hated them with everything that he was. He did not want to go. He knew that if God would perhaps let them go, pardon Israel, that uh, they might come back and destroy Israel. Pardon the Ninevites, they would come back and destroy Israel. And sure enough, that did happen later. Just to, just to move more quickly through this, this was the enemy, and, and, and Jonah hated them, 
and he would do nothing, nothing, nothing that gave them any chance for repentance, for salvation. Well, God had his way, took a fish to do it, but he got him to Nineveh, and, I, and that's where we're going to begin today. There's a lot of lessons that we have to learn in, uh, in the book of Jonah. We're going to learn that uh, God loves all people. It doesn't matter where they're from. God is not the God of simply Israel. God is the God of everyone. As we heard earlier in one of the songs, we are created in God's image. We're all God's people. We all have more in common than we have differently because God made us in his image. God goes to extraordinary lengths to save his people. Look what he did to get Jonah to the Ninevites so that they would have a chance for repentance. Jonah learned there was no place to escape God's presence, that God truly was a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And eventually we'll learn that God wants us to share his love with everyone, his grace with everyone, and he wants to use us. But in the process of using us, he wants to change us. There's a lot of lessons in the book of Jonah, but I want to ask the question a little bit more uh, personally. What does God want us to learn from this story? What happens when we're frustrated with the place we live? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. I'm sure there's a few of you out, out sitting out here today that say, I was never going to live in New Orleans. In fact, I think I married one of them. She said, I'll never live in New Orleans. We've been living here and married. We've been married 25 years this year. So uh, she's lived here longer than anywhere else. Doesn't God have a great sense of humor? I would never go to New Orleans. I don't want to be here. This is a bad place. I want to go back where I came from. But what does God have for us when we get frustrated in the place that he has us? What does he want to do with us? God's put us here for a reason. He wants us to examine our circumstances and our hearts wants us to answer the question, are we on the way to Nineveh obeying God's call or have we brought our ticket to Tarshish? Are we ready to go the other way? Yes, there's lots to do in our city. There's lots of frustrations and I'm not going to get off on the problems because that's not what we're here to talk about today. I want us to understand what it is that we can do as a church, what we can do as individuals, how we can make some kind of difference in our city, where we are, in the place that God has put us and what do we learn from this passage that allows us to do that? Now, I'm going to, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a very simple person, so I have three very simple points. The first one is obedience. If you look in chapter 3, Jonah finally got it. Verse 3, it said, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. And he went to Nineveh. I want to ask you a question. Just the city has its problems. We have our frustrations. Sometimes they seem so big. We don't know where to begin. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to solve it. I can't do it. You can't do it. Not sure we can all do it together. Of course, we know that God can do it. But where do we even begin? Who's going to make a difference? Aren't we glad we hired a church staff and, and let them do it, right? That's a good solution. And so we appreciate our staff. Y'all take care of that. Well, no, that's not God's plan either. 
God has a plan for us, and it starts with obedience. What if, and I'm going to ask a lot of questions today because I want you to have a conversation with God while I'm talking. What if we truly just took God at his word and began to obey what we already knew he wanted us to do? Don't worry about anything else. Just began to obey what God had already asked us to do. Where do we start with that? Well, what he told Jonah was a pretty good thing. Go and preach the message that I will give you. What if we left this place today and went out in our community and we began to tell our neighbor, our friend, the waitress at the, at the restaurant that we go to, wherever we might be, if we began to tell them, God has given me a message and it's an important message and can I share it to you? What if we simply began to proclaim the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus everywhere we went? That's what God told Jonah to do. Go and preach the message that I've given us, given you. That's a message God has given, his message of mercy, of grace, of salvation. What if that was on our lips every single day and we began to share it in every place we went? There's a lot of things in the Bible we know that we need to do. There's a lot of things that we need to, to, to work on. What if we just began to obey some of the simple ones? I'm not going to go through them all. I'm just going to list a few. What about Matthew 5? Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and pray your Father, praise your Father in heaven. Luke 9 if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. First Thessalonians, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder what God's will for your life is? There it is. It says this is God's will for your life. Matthew 19, here's one I know we've heard over and over from this very place. Love your neighbor. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what I've taught you, and I'm with you always. What if we went out on a daily basis and just picked one or two of these and began simply out of obedience? What could God do? When Jonah obeyed, the greatest revival in the history of man happened. Everybody in the city of Nineveh repented and begged God. Not only did they repent and wear sackcloth and ashes, the king decreed, turn from your wicked ways. They realized their shortcomings. Because Jonah obeyed, a city was saved. What if we just started there? We'll find out in a minute. It wasn't all that it seemed in Jonah's life. He obeyed. He didn't have a very good attitude, but what if he obeyed? I want this to be practical, so really quickly, I'm going to give you one suggestion. How do we start this? How do we do this? How do we obey? How do we get in our community? Where do we begin? Our church has a wonderful program called Care Effect. It's an opportunity for us to get outside of the walls of the church. And so here's the challenge for you today. It's just a, one suggestion. Pick a place and go. That's what Jesus said to do. Go and preach the message. Go and make disciples. Pick a place and go. Put yourself in a place that God can begin to do a work in your life. If you don't know about Care Effect, you don't know what the programs are, 
Find Andrew Crosby. He'll tell you where to go. He'll give you a suggestion of a place that needs your help. Don't worry about it. Just go. Give God the opportunity to do a work in your life and see what happens from there. Moving on quickly, let's... Another thing I've learned from the book of Jonah, I think we can do is for us to examine our anger. That sounds a little bit uh, odd. Chapter 4, though. Jonah has just experienced the greatest revival in the history of man. Everybody in Nineveh had repented except for one person. Do you ever realize that? Everybody in Nineveh had repented and gotten right with God, or, or, or at least as much as they understood it at that moment, they got right with God except for one person. Jonah. Jonah. He still hated the Ninevites. He was done with them. He didn't want this to happen. And he begins, as we read, to sit out, to sit there and tell God how displeased, how angry, how frustrated he is with God because God did not destroy his enemies. He says, I told you, God, I told you this was going to happen. If you had listened to me, we wouldn't have had to go through all of this. Did you get that? If you had just listened to me, God. We try to make God in our image, and, and that doesn't work very well. But, God, but uh, Jonah was very angry. Anger is an emotion you feel when your expectations of justice are not met. Do we ever get it angry at God? Sure we do. Whenever we think we deserve something from God and we find him guilty for not giving it to us, whenever we think someone else to be unworthy, and we are angry when God gives them blessings, that we perceive they don't deserve. Whenever God takes away some blessing from us, which we think he had no right to remove, our health, our money, our job, a loved one, a dream, a plan, our comfort zone. Whenever God tells us to do something, go somewhere, or love someone, and we don't want to. I'm not going to ask if there's, say, oh, maybe a seminary student here who made the comment, I'll never go to New Orleans. God sent them here. They're still mad about it. They're getting a wonderful education. They're learning a lot at our great seminary here, but they're still mad about it. They don't want to be here, and when they get their first church, when they go where they think they want to go and do the ministry they think they want to do, they'll be happy then. But God has put us here for a purpose. This is not by accident. God wants you here because he wants to use you to bless this city and to change this city but more important, he has put you here so he can do a work in your life to prepare you for what's next. The question we need to ask is not where can God use me the most, but where can God change me the most? We're going to make a difference in our city. We must be honest about what keeps us from doing God's will. Ask God to remove the pride the prejudice, the stubbornness, the selfishness, the self-righteousness, whatever it is that we have put up in our life, if we ask God to remove those things so we can have his heart, his eyes, and begin to see the city, the people, the place that he has put us in a different way. Remember, God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He loves us, 
and he's patient with us, and he wants to work in our lives for his glory. Are we going to be obedient? Are we going to look and see what it is that keeps us in our lives angry at God, what keeps us from serving him? One other thing as we finish. Chapter 4 ends with a question. Should I not be concerned about this great city? In the New American Standard Version, it says, Should I not have compassion for this city? We saw what Jonah did. We saw, we've seen the whole thing. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that vine meant and what the worm meant and all the symbolism of that. And I figured it out, finally, it's just a vine and it's just a worm. They were tools of God to get Jonah's attention. And when, Jonah got, when God got Jonah's attention, he could have a discussion with him about what needed to be done. If we're going to make a difference in our city, we have to learn to live with compassion. Change will come in our city when we begin to see others the way God sees them, when we set aside labels and division and start to love our neighbor, when we truly realize that everyone in God is made in God's image, and that is what makes us valuable and important, when we begin to treat others with compassion and not pity. Pity lets us look down on people. Compassion makes us get down there with them and lift them up. God knows that uh, for us to learn compassion, we must move from our comfort zone and take into a place that compassion can grow in our heart. I'd love to stand here and talk for this for a long time because I think this is the most important lesson we can learn, that we must let God break our heart so he can fill it with compassion. But time will not permit that. So just understand, God wants to put us in a place that we can start to see the world through his eyes and love the world through his heart. Again, our church provides many opportunities through the Care Effect, through our ministry, Global Maritime, through the community health ministries that we heard about this morning. There are many places, and I challenge you, get out of your comfort zone. God did not call here, you here to just simply come and worship. He came, called you here to come and worship, to prepare you to go out the doors and make a difference in your community and live life with compassion. Share the gospel. God can work in our lives when we're focusing on the needs of others. God can teach us compassion when we're serving those who are hurting, when we're reaching out to the lonely, when we're comforting the sick, feeding the hungry, visiting the prisoner, welcoming the stranger. That's when God has the opportunity to teach us life-changing compassion. I want to tell you one story. I know we're running out of time, but I want to tell you one story because compassion does not come in your life until God puts you in the place that it's real and that it's personal and your heart breaks. My wife and I have done a lot of camps in the summertime. We were uh, doing mission camps in Florida up in the Panhandle, girls' mission camps. Talk about being out of your comfort zone. The only guy at a camp with bunches of screaming little girls. Okay? The longest week of my life. But God has put us there in our first job that day on the very first day is to welcome the counselors or welcome the kids as they come in and the counselors get them to their cabins and do all the registration and do all the things they have to do. I'm standing there talking with some of the girls and I hear one of the 
uh, folks that came with a group, one of the adults, who uh, the adults would bring the groups and leave them there, and then they would come back and pick them up at the end of the week. One of the adults came there, and she was registering her girls, and she said, we're from such and such church. We have this many girls. Oh, and by the way, we have this one girl here, and we don't want her in a cabin with the rest of our girls. That caught my attention, so I started listening. Now, this girl, Samantha, her name was Samantha. She's standing right there next to this lady. And the lady goes, we don't want her in a cabin with the rest of our girls. We just brought her as a charity case. If that were the end of the story, it'd be bad enough. We found out later the reason that they didn't want her to come is they found out somehow this, this, these, her parents had started trying to come to this church, trying to uh, get some things right with God. They were searching and they had found this church, and the church in their own way was, I guess, trying to help them. But the problem was the couple had AIDS, and they were afraid of them. And they, the girl didn't have AIDS, but they were afraid of her. And they didn't want her with their other girls. She was a charity case. That's the only reason she came. Broke my heart. We started spending time with her all week. Anytime she saw us, she would come and hug us because no one else would hug her. Our youngest daughter, or excuse me, our oldest daughter, Anna, was there. She was just a couple of years old. And Samantha, all she wanted to do all week was hold our daughter because we would let her. And Anna would just accept her. She was two. All she was there was playing. She was happy. But she just wanted to be with someone who didn't judge her broke my heart. The same camp, a couple of years later, a girl came. They always checked them for lice. She had such bad lice in her hair that they were going to have to send her home. They had spent all day treating her, couldn't get it done, uh, couldn't get them out. They said, the only choice is we can call her parents, and if her parents will let us cut her hair, we think we can get them out, and then she can stay at camp. Otherwise, she'll, she'll have to go home so it doesn't spread to the other counselors. They called her father. Her father said, oh, I don't care. Cut her hair, cut her head off. I really don't care what you do to her. I don't care what you do to her. It broke my heart. God's put us in a place for compassion. There's a little humor. They sent me to Walmart. They had sent this girl, uh, one of the counselors to this girl's cabin to get her clothes, found out she had packed in a pillowcase. She did not have enough clothes for the week. The clothes she did have were dirty and torn. So they sent me to Walmart to buy her more clothes. Yeah, you, you've got that mental picture, don't you? They had to call me and say, what's taking you so long? I'm like, really? Got back and they said, how many clothes did you buy? Let's just say the girl went home with more clothes than she could wear that week or the next week. But it broke my heart. And I tell you this story because these girls did not need to hear us tell them about Jesus. That was the last thing they needed. Those girls needed to see us love them. They needed to be proven to them that we could love them before they could believe that God could love them. Are you willing to let God break your heart so much that compassion can grow in your heart? Time's up. I'm going to stop there. It's time for an invitation. So here it is. We come to this time of invitation. 
And I think a lot of times we almost skip over it. We know it's the end of the service. We begin to pack up. We begin to look at our watches, plan our menus, those kinds of things. But today I want you to just pause and I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to think about a couple of things. I'm sure there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They do not know this God of great love and compassion. We don't want you to leave if you do not know. We want to introduce you to a God that loves you unconditionally and that wants you to have a relationship with him for eternity. And so we come to an invitation, and I'm not going to assume you know what that means. I'm just going to tell you what that means is if you want to know more, if you have questions, if you feel God's talking to you, our staff is going to be down here. Just get up. We're going to stand and sing in a minute. Just get up. Walk down the aisle. No pressure. Don't worry. Just come and talk to them. Let them talk with you. Let them pray with you. Let them introduce you to that God that loves you. But for some of you, some of you, I hope that something that I have said, and it's not really what I had written down, to be honest with you, but something that what I said today has broken your heart and that you have realized there is something in your life, whether it be selfishness, self-centered, prejudice, apathy, whatever it might be that keeps you from making a difference in our city. You need to, you need to repent. You need to get that right with God. You need to get that out of your life so God can use you in a special way, so that God can use us as a body of Christ. I challenge you to do the same thing. Kneel down where you were. Come down here to the front and kneel and pray. Come and talk to one of our staff. Get it right with God today. Get it out of the way so that God can use you. And finally, the last thing, every time I talk, I believe this is probably true. There's someone here that is fighting with God God has called you here for a purpose or God has a place for you to go and you are like Jonah saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, Jonah lost. Quit wasting the time. God always wins. Come down here and pray. Kneel where you are and pray. Turn to a friend and say, pray with me. Surrender that to God and let God have complete control of your life so that he can put you in a place that he can break your heart in such a way that he can fill it with compassion for his people. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for this wonderful church. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship together. But God, we know that this time of invitation is about you talking to us. So please, God, just let us open our hearts. Let us hear from you. And God, if you need one of us, if you need me to respond, if you need me to repent, Father, just compel us to do that. Don't let us leave this place until we've done that. And Father, as we do leave this place, send us out obedient. Send us out with clean hearts. Send us out broken so that you can use us in our city so that we will not be frustrated with what is, but we can rejoice and what you have done. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.